Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Metadata. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 185 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we had one of our longest episodes ever as we got enthused about the possibilities and potential of voice tech tools like Amazon's Alexa. We like to follow our more theoretical episodes with very practical ones and a few recent computer problems, some might call them crashes, led us right to today's topic. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will be talking about tips for troubleshooting technology, both yours and others. In our second segment, we're excited to answer a listener question about artificial intelligence applications. And as a reminder, incidentally, we always welcome your questions. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, and observation that you can start to use the second this podcast is over. But first up, technology troubleshooting. The unfortunate thing, I think, about technology is that, unlike Apple's claim, it doesn't always just work. From time to time, probably more often than we want, our technology goes wrong. It fails. It has a glitch. It doesn't work the way we expect it to, whether it's a smartphone that can't hold a Bluetooth connection in the car, like I've been having lately, or a hard drive that seems to be failing. I think every now and then we have to troubleshoot a problem on our own. Dennis, I know that uh, you have recently ran into a new problem and you were very excited that you successfully fixed it. Uh, I guess uh, the question is, how many hours did you put into fixing that? Well, I don't like to think of it as hours, but I think uh, an afternoon. That's fair. Sort of, maybe a little bit into the evening. But yeah, Tom, I was really excited to actually fix uh, a problem that looked like it was, I had kind of a dead computer on hands. I went to use my wife's computer and got this this message that said something like fatal error and uh, needed to reboot. And I went to reboot and I got the same thing and got into this loop and I did a lot of diagnosis, and I'm, I'm not saying there was a point where I lost my optimism, but uh, I did price new desktop computers uh, on Dell, and I got to say, $300 seems like really reasonable for a, for a decent desktop. It's a good price. But I, di- I did figure it out, and that, that got me thinking about how we actually a- approach these things. And, and I think you're right. I, I think that uh, trouble is inevitable, really a lot of complexity going on. And plus, people keep their PCs a lot longer. So you do you do run into some issues just because computers are older. Uh, my issue with, with the, doing the troubleshooting was that I was on Windows 10, and that's that's something I don't usually use. So that, that made things a, a little bit tougher. And it took me a while before I learned that what I was seeing on the screen is actually the Windows 10 version of the blue screen of, of death. <laughs> it looks different. Yep. You know, which, which now I understand. And then even if it's not your own stuff, Tom, as, as you've told me many times, you and many of the rest of us are our family IT person. And, and sometimes you just got to learn how to do this stuff. Well, you know, and it's yeah, that's true, and and I will say that because you are the family IT person, my first piece of advice will be, and and we've talked about this on the podcast before, having a good screen sharing program 
is key, especially if the person that you're helping out, uh, that their computer um, is still capable of uh, connecting to the internet and you can do that. I use a program now called TeamViewer that most IT departments use or that's, that other you know, that some IT departments use to, to share screens with others. And uh, I'm able to hop on my parents' computer quite easily and fix things up. So that's, that is key to, uh, to troubleshoot problems on other people's computers. But I'm, I'm going to come back and say, you know, it's not just, you're right, people are keeping their computers much longer, but I would say that it's not just older technology um, that has problems. Plenty of new technology has problems too. I think on a previous podcast, I mentioned wanting to try out a non-Apple alternative to the, the Apple AirPods, my Bragi headphones, and I got them and they're incredibly small and I love how they have no wires and I can just put them in my ears, connect them to my phone and go out and do stuff with without having to worry about wires and I put them on and they were miserable. It was awful. I was a, I went down the street and they disconnected about 20 times. I had to turn around before I got to the end of the corner and come back and put on some regular headphones. So it's it's not just old technology. It's uh it's it's new stuff too that you find yourself having to fix and figure out what's going wrong with it. Well, and it's just it's not just hardware, it's software, it's it's network, it's you know, internet connections, it's printing, all those sorts of things and the combination all of them can get uh, really tricky. And, and I think most of us do have a bag of tricks that we use, but I, I think typically you don't you don't get all systematic on that unless you, you face issues a lot. And so, so I think I've really learned troubleshooting because I've had a lot of trouble and that's, that's what teaches you those, those things. So we thought on, on this podcast, we could kind of go over or share some of the, the systematic tips and, and tricks that we typically use. And to me, I just kind of go back, Tom, I, I got to say, my first legal tech column for Lawyers Weekly USA 20 years ago was called The Case of the Malfunctioning Modem, which tells you where technology was. But I kind of went through uh, some of the uh, the approaches. And we kind of settled more or less on a four-step approach. So I don't know if you want to you want to launch into to step one? Well, sure. I mean, I think step one is really about trying to get, I mean, as, as you might say, getting a good diagnosis of the problem. But I'm going to argue that um, sometimes you can't actually get a good diagnosis. I mean, not all of us know exactly what's going on with our computer. And I think that's where the internet can help. You know, I, I will liken this to, you know, unfortunately, the internet has made it much too easy for us to try and get a diagnosis on our health issues online. And unlike relying too much on uh, online uh, diagnosis of health things, trying to get something on the internet for your computer things, I think is, is significantly more successful. But I think, like I said a minute ago, I, I wouldn't just say you're looking for a diagnosis, I frankly think that if you can, you know, plug in a couple of your symptoms, what are the symptoms of the problems that you're having? Describing the problem that you have, and we're going to talk more about the best ways to do that, but just go to Google and, and plug those in, and chances are you're going to find somebody else who's had those exact symptoms. And, and unlike the medical problems that you find on the internet, you can actually 
try to fix those symptoms and they give you tips on how to do it to see if they solve your tech issue. So, I mean, I think that trying to figure out what your problem is is clearly the first step, but I would argue that um, even if you don't know exactly what your problem is, the problem is likely exhibiting itself as a symptom of something, and that could be in itself a clue to figure out how to fix it. Well, and I would say like the best fix is the one that, you know, just works. So if you don't have to figure out like what actually is wrong, but it just starts working and that's, that's awesome. But that doesn't happen all the time, obviously. And so I do go back to a little bit of diagnostics and, and I, I think it can be a little bit harder than you expect. I mean, normally I'm trying to, to rule things out. So when I wrote that first malfunctioning modem article, I went through like a whole, you know, I just had a modem that wasn't working and I was trying to figure out what to do with it because I didn't want to buy a new one. And I went through this whole thing and I tried all you know, like all these different things, ruling things out, you know, was it in the, in the modem itself? Was it this connection? Was it that connection? Was it software? I mean, to give away the the article, because you probably can't find it anymore, but it turned out that some squirrels had eaten through the phone line outside and degraded the line enough it was causing problems with the, the modem connecting to the internet. So it took a call to the to the phone company. So I, I like the step one is ruling things out, and I go back to the the great Sherlock Holmes quote this is uh, where he said, how often have I said to you that when you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. And so sometimes, you know, that's what I found. Like the only thing that could be wrong with that modem was in the phone line and it turned out to be a squirrel. So there are clues out there. And I think Tom's right that using Google to kind of type those things in and do some searches will help you. But I think kind of just tracking through things, say, is a Windows problem, is a hard drive problem, and that, that kind of helps you get the diagnosis done and to move on to you know, trying to, to at least get started on fixing it. I guess when we talk about that, if I'm looking at my modem and it's not working, my first instinct is not to try and figure it out myself unless for some reason I happen to be a modem expert to do it. And so I, I guess my first instinct is to go to the internet because likely someone's actually already come up with that list you just described. I mean, there's there's tons of those lists all over the internet that say, here is a checklist of things to do to rule everything out. If it's not this, then try this. Then if that didn't work, then try this. And then at the very bottom, it says, if you're down here, if you've gotten to this point, then call us because you haven't figured out what, you haven't isolated the problem. But I think that's right. I think trying to isolate it is right. Um, but the one thing that I find out more often than not, I mean, when it turns out you spent all that time on the modem to find out that it was a, a, a problem on the outside, I think that we um, either ignore or don't uh, pay attention often enough to what I would consider to be the easy fix. The fact that some of these problems are not that complicated. Sometimes they can be fixed um, very simply by just a couple of quick things to do and you've got it solved. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, and so I would, I would go that, I mean, we laugh about this all the time when IT people tell you this, but basically turning turning stuff off and on really works a lot turning of time. anything off right anything yeah. it doesn't matter what it is yeah <laughs> it means your refrigerator reboot to refrigerator that's right 
I think there are also other simple fixes. So in the Windows world, going to the task manager, which is control, alt, delete, I think still gets you there in almost all Windows versions and saying, hey, look, my browser is hung up or Word is hung up. I just shutting it down and and reloading it, you know, sometimes will do the trick. And then sometimes you do those simple fix because you have constraints. Obviously, if the cursor won't move, your mouse arrow won't move, uh, and everything's frozen, then your choice really is to turn things off and on, and that can take you to the next place, which is what I did with the issues that I had. Then I think... I think the Google thing is great, but I also like to go to the the actual support sites, especially for Microsoft and Apple, because I think they're pretty good and they do walk you through the checklist. So that's that's what I did, and I I went and it said when you get this sort of new version of the blue screen of death, there's like eight eight different things you can try, and by God, I tried them all, and you know it was when I hit the bottom and didn't fix it, then I had to go deeper. And that's when I went the the Google route. And that's where I discovered that uh, YouTube is also a pretty amazing resource on fixing things. Well, I will say the task manager is actually something that helps me out more times than not. It's, and it's not necessarily just of a program's hanging up because sometimes you don't know what's hanging up. I will have times where both my laptop and my desktop, um, the fan seems to be running really, really, really high and things just all, the whole computer is sluggish. So that means that something's hogging up your memory and, and just turning on the task manager, you can see from that task manager what app or, or service is hogging up the most resources and just turning that off just disconnecting that can immediately solve your problem on the computer. So the task manager is really a great idea for a quick fix. And I agree with you going to the Microsoft and Apple support sites are also good. But one of the quick fixes that I like to try more because I'm a little bit lazy and I want the computer to fix itself is, um, at least in terms of Windows, Microsoft has really got a great troubleshooting feature now where you can just open up the troubleshooting feature in the control panel and you can say, go to town, go scan my system and see if you can identify any problems that are going on. And it will. It'll look at them and it will fix the problem. And I have, I've had that happen a number of times where my, my wireless adapter has gotten disconnected. And for some reason, I can't connect to Wi-Fi at all. So I just run the troubleshooter. I'll see it say, yep, we've identified that your wireless adapter is not connected. We're restarting the wireless adapter. Oops, your problem is solved. And I will say that's just about the fastest, quickest fix that I could find in terms of getting something done on a Windows computer. But I will say also that, you know, if, if I'm going to find something on a Microsoft support site, nine times out of 10, Google is going to help me get to that page better than if I just go to the Microsoft support site first and try to search for it. Google is a better search engine of Microsoft and Apple sites than I think those sites happen to be. And frankly, what I like about the fact that Google is uh, is so good at it is that nowadays they've, they've structured things so that the first search result is actually usually a series of steps. It's, it's right in line with the search results where you don't even have to go to another web page. You've just got the steps to fix your problem 
right there in the screen. So it can't get much easier than that. I think that's that's really true. And those are those are good points. I think that the YouTube has become really interesting because you might find a video where somebody shows you how to do things. And I think that can be really useful rather than kind of ticking through some steps that are written out where you go like, hey, wait, wait a second. This there's something on the where it says this tab says this, but it's not exactly what's said in the uh, in the article or you find out that they're talking about a different version of Windows or Mac OS or Word or, or whatever. So so sometimes the YouTube thing I think could be really helpful. The other thing I think at this point where you're trying to the easy fixes is it's gonna remind you of the importance of backup because if you got a frozen screen in the middle of something you're working on, good chance you've lost that if you have to turn it off and on. So I think it it stresses the importance of saving and backing up. And if you're in a situation where it feels like you're hung and you got any, or there's some issues going on and you have any ability to save things, you need to jump in and take advantage of that opportunity to try to save what you can. That's also good. I think it goes back to uh, looking at your settings in Word um, and the Office products and other places to do the automatic saves a little bit more frequently. Once you start to have issues on a computer, you may find that they become more frequent. And so going to the automatic saves sooner, you know, like every couple of minutes is going to be a lot better than losing 10 minutes or, or more of, of work. No, I think that's actually critical. I will, and we're going to talk about backup in a little bit more detail in a minute. But I think that in terms of really backing up, that's been one of my biggest issues. I have a... Uh, a spreadsheet uh, that that my business uses that is notorious for crashing. And I've had to set that autosave at a very light touch so that it is autosaving all the time because I crash that spreadsheet constantly and I lose... I lose 20 minutes worth of work, and and so it's not just so much that uh, that you want to back up a document so that you don't lose the entire document. It's losing all that work. I think that's that's incredibly important. And and like Dennis says, if you have the ability, if something goes wrong with your computer, but you still have the ability to save your documents, don't just reboot it or turn it off without doing that. Try your best to save everything, uh, because you will come back to a computer that's likely working, but you've lost the last. 30 or 45 minutes or hour of, of work, and, and that's that's really important. So, Dennis, what do you think we do when those fixes don't fix? What's the next step at that point? Oh, that's the, the point of despair often. Um, I think that probably in the Windows world, what I like at that point is the, the system restore points. So you can go back in, and Windows is, is more or less taking a snapshot on a, either a schedule basis, like if there's an upgrade installed, because sometimes the problem happens after you install an update. So you can go back to like the last good point, and you can restore from that. So you're basically resetting. You're keeping all the data, but you're kind of rolling your computer back to a date when it probably was working. And so you can do that, and that a lot of times will solve the problem. And then you can kind of, then you're working, you can save things, you can do other things, and then you can say, maybe what I need to do is go check, go out to Google and check to see whether there are issues with that last update I installed or, you know, something else that I did. So so I think the system restore points is really a great approach for doing that. So that can some, a lot of times for me, that's really helped on getting things back up and going. 
Well, I think that one of the nice things about System Restore is, is that it's a little bit like a time machine that only gets rid of the bad stuff. So you can go back to a certain point in time where you weren't having problems with your computer, but let's say that in between those times you created... 10 documents on your computer, you're not going to lose those. It's not going to go back as if those things never had occurred. So you're not going to lose that information. It's just that your computer settings are going to go back to a previous configuration. And I think that that's, that's a really nice, uh, a nice way to do it. I mean, obviously, being able to, there are some systems, you know, Windows is one of them, but even some applications have a safe mode where uh, you can boot into that safe mode, which means that it's not loading a whole bunch of extraneous apps or add-ins or other types of software so you're kind of getting the cleanest version that you can to help you troubleshoot what the problem is so I know I know there are a lot of uh, you know this probably happens less on an iPhone than it does on an Android phone but there'll be times where they say to uh, to start adding apps back one at a time until you see the problem that you have and, and I think it's the same with with Windows you can start adding things back in in uh, t- until you start to see the problems. But the nice part about using a safe boot or something like that is that it helps you, you know, it helps you really rule out whether it was an add-in that was causing the problem or if you might have, a, you know, if, if it doesn't even boot into safe mode, then that's telling you something as well. So my issue was, okay, Windows wasn't loading. And so I think that can really throw people. So you've turned it off, you turned it on, and it still is get stuck without Windows loading and gave me a notice of an error. So then you start to dig into system. There are system utilities. There's the safe boot. Again, I I went to Google. You know, you just don't do it often enough. You're going to remember things. I think it's a little bit different in different versions of Windows. Then also you can read some articles that will tell you, here's how you safe boot and you go and you do like an F2 or something like that. And then it doesn't do anything. So you kind of need to make sure you're, you're doing the right thing to get this safe boot to happen. Normally what will happen if you do, if you're successful in doing a safe boot and can get in and then basically shut down in the normal way or reboot, then a lot of times that will take care of the problem. And then you'll get into in, uh, Windows OK. Unfortunately for me, in my case, that didn't work. And I got a lot deeper into the system utilities than I've probably ever been, especially in, in Windows 10. But there are a lot of things that you can do uh, that will come up as options if you hit the right keys as you start to go into to Windows um, and then you don't get the normal Windows boot up and the fail, but that will give you some options that can let you run some tests and do some other things. And so for me, what that really helped with was I was able to figure out it made myself really sure that it wasn't a hard drive going bad. It was actually a, a Windows booting problem in the the issue I had. So utilities are good. If you if you pop up some error codes, that's another place. This is a, the greatest thing to me is you find the error, error code, you put quotes around it, and you put it in Google, and that's going to lead you to a lot of great information. Yeah, no, I think that's probably one of if you, if you can get an error code for something, then again. Somebody on the internet's talking about it, and um, I've I've solved problems or at least gotten advice on what to do at that point in time. So let's cut to step four because we're talking a long time about this. Did that help you? Did finding an error code help you? Where did you uh, Where did you get at this point? 
Yeah, so then I went. I was able to find the support thing. I went through the eight different approaches. Uh, some of the approaches asked me to like go on the internet and grab things, uh, which if you're not able to load Windows, you're not going to be on the internet. So uh, here's a great tip. Smartphones are huge when you have problem that involves uh, loss of the internet because that, that gets you there. Then you start to go, what is it? that's really going to happen. And then I think that involves revisiting your diagnosis. Like I said, I originally thought I had a hard drive going bad. It was going to just buy a new computer, realized I didn't have a bad hard drive. And then I got to the point where we got to step four, where realistically, um, the only thing I was going to do other than buying a new computer was to go to the nuclear option, which was basically reinstalling Windows. And that's that's a tough decision to make. And I did it. And I did it successfully um, and got things back up and going. But that's a tough one. And I think that's time where you start to think very hard of like calling a friend or bringing in an expert at that point because uh, reinstalling Windows is a dramatic step. Well, really, reinstalling an operating system on any device is a dramatic step. And I've had to do it both for Windows devices, but I've also had to do it for both iPhones and Android phones. And, you know, it's a long-term thing to do. You have to plan to spend, like you said, an afternoon and into the evening. It's not something that you can just do and let it happen. You've got to really plan for it because you know, I think you'll say here that backup is important if you're going to do that. Not only is backup important, you need to make sure that you know what you originally had on your device. So what are the apps and programs that you want to reinstall? Having a program, I used to use a tool called Billark. It's still out there, but I'm not sure that it's all that well-known or, or well-used these days, but it would take an inventory of everything on your computer. I printed that out before I would either get a new computer or, or reinstall Windows on a computer, and it would help me understand what, what I wanted. And I would argue that it's not necessarily about having a good backup or about using a good backup service. It's being able to restore things quickly and easily, which frankly is why, for me, reinstalling Windows or something like that is not a huge pain because being connected to the cloud means that you can really get up and running a lot faster. You know, restoring things for me is pretty straightforward. I just reconnect to Dropbox and my files are there. I re-download Microsoft Office 365 and I'm good to go with my applications. My photos are all in Google Photos. I do have a backup if I need to get to them. My music is on Spotify. My work files are in my file transporter. And so I'm not worried so much if I don't, if I lose what's on my computer, if I just wipe it clean and start fresh because it's I've got another copy somewhere else. So having that peace of mind if you have to do the nuclear option is actually not a bad way to go. Yeah, so the cloud stuff is great. Uh, the th thing I found a little tricky was serial numbers, things like that as you reinstall things. So, But you can sometimes just load the stuff and you have 30 days to come up with a serial number. But all of these things make you realize there's some basic backup and disaster recovery planning that you need to do even for yourself that will come in handy at some point. But I think also when this type of thing happens, it makes you rethink of what do you really need? All the stuff you have on the computer, are you better off storing things in the cloud? You know, and what do you really need? Because at some point, you're going to say, if I'm restoring things, do I really need want to put all this stuff back on? 
So I don't know, Tom, let's wrap it up other than saying it's good to avoid problems and and backup, backup, backup. Do we have any action steps for listeners? Well, the action step is really to do the kinds of things we talked about now. That four-step process, I think, is a good process to follow. I'm going to give a very simplistic thing of advice to say that when something like this happens that you need to troubleshoot, Take a deep breath because you, in most cases, aren't as screwed as you think you might be. And I'll give a quick example. My father called me panicked. He said, I've lost this document. I've been keeping this document on my computer since 1997, which I doubt, but he's been keeping it for a long time. And now it's completely gone. The document itself is empty. There's no data in it. Oh my gosh, it's the end of my world. And I was able to go into his backup. He uses Carbonite as a backup and it it kept the last 30 days of versions. I went to a, a version that he had just saved the day before, and there it was, all in its in its complete glory. I restored it for him, and not only does he think I'm a genius, which I'm really not, but it's really, it's really not a matter of panic. If something goes bad, take a deep breath, dig in, and hopefully it's not a difficult solution. Yeah, I, I would agree. I always have this one caveat of, like, if a printer's not working, it's just a matter of luck, whether you're going to get it working. That's one thing I've never been able to figure out but but i think the thing is just kind of stepping back and saying okay there are some ways to go through this there's some help out there if i'm just sort of systematic and logical about what i'm doing i got a decent chance of recovering and then you just vow to be better at backup and before we move on to our next segment let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor looking for a process server you can trust ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And in our constant quest to try to get listeners to submit questions for this segment of the show so I don't have to keep coming up with the topics, we've actually achieved some success. We have an audio question for this episode, and that's your invitation to submit your audio or written questions to us so we can answer them in this very segment. My one rule, as I mentioned earlier, no questions about how to make your computer work with your computer that that's just too hard so let's go to the audio right here hey this is dan lear i'm the director of industry relations at avo that means i do outreach and technology evangelism for the legal marketplace and my question is what's your favorite or what do you think is the most interesting artificial intelligence technology for lawyers on the market today Tom, how would you answer that question? So I'm going to go fairly simple and basic. But for me, the most interesting uses of artificial intelligence, I'm going to I'm going to use I'm going to bring up two examples. Um, The first one is I'm really intrigued by Ross. Ross is the the sibling of Watson from IBM. Ross is being rolled out to some of the larger firms to help with legal research um, and is being offered as an alternative research tool to Westlaw and Lexis and being able to look through and I 
identify patterns and identify precedents and identify what judges are saying what and where. And I'm really intrigued to see if that can improve uh, the value of legal research because that's really a hard intensive, really time-consuming part of a lawyer's job. And and having a tool that can help make that easier, and they claim that it takes very little to no training to learn how to use it, which to me, all the better. So I'm intrigued by a tool like Ross. Um, coming from an e-discovery background, I'm also a big fan of artificial intelligence tools for e-discovery. And I want to make sure that we differentiate because there's a lot of tools out there that do predictive coding, um, that can do analytics and can find information like that. And that is a form of artificial intelligence, but I actually think that the tools that are more interesting to me are the ones that use machine learning to get better. You can train the tools to go back into the information and find something that you actually wanted to find. And there's only a few companies that are doing something that has really active machine learning to get in and, and find documents. Tools like Kroll and a couple others are, are some of the tools that I would recommend. But I think those are really intriguing because, again, as discovery in cases with multiple millions of documents gets harder and harder, having a tool that is smart enough to learn how to go out and find the information I think is most interesting to me. Dennis, what about you? Okay, so Tom, I know you get tired of me recommending Kevin Kelly's new book, The Inevitable, but I heard Kevin talking on a podcast where he talked about the notion, we was talking about artificial intelligence and how it's going to be built into everything as time goes forward. But he had the notion of saying that artificial intelligence is, is really kind of hard to pin down. And so he said, maybe we need to think in terms of artificial intelligences, because there are different intelligences. And they also used the term artificial smartness, which I also like here. And so that got me thinking about um, what's really interesting in that I see in, in the AI world. And so the one that fascinated me as I thought about this is actually the, the analog braking system in my car and also traction control because it's something useful and I can it sort of you know just happens without me. I also like the the application of AI in chess games. Um, and I and I love AI where it's pattern recognition, and and so that's a variation of the e-discovery. So I go back to Dolphin Search um, and tools like that, where you know the the tools start to recognize patterns that you as a human might not see. And then a couple of other things, and I'll echo you here again. I th- I think any of the Watson based apps that are coming to legal and elsewhere are also interesting. And I see a lot of buzz around some of the things that the company called Neota Logic is doing. Haven't used it myself, but I just see a lot of conversation about it. So that's what I have on on that topic, Tom. And it's time for our parting shots. That one tip website or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. I have mentioned the Note to Self podcast several times on this podcast. It's from WNYC uh, in New York, and uh, it is a podcast about kind of the human side of using technology. By the time you listen to this podcast, they probably will have already completed this program, but they have a new um, a new kind of initiative that they call the Privacy Paradox. And every day during the week that we're uh, recording this, uh, this podcast, they have a different episode on a different way to protect your privacy online. 
line. The first one that they've done um, had Bruce Schneier, the security expert, talking about all of the different things that the apps in your smartphone gathers about you. And as an exercise, they have you go into your phone and understand, you know, which apps want to use your microphone, which apps want to use your location, and try to encourage you to, if not turn all of it off, at least to be smart and to actively choose those things you want to allow your smartphone to do for you and to be a better informed consumer about your privacy. Um, so I'm intrigued to listen to the rest of it by the time, just because you're hearing this later doesn't mean you can't go back and both listen to it and take the quizzes and uh, and get your own privacy profile. Um, highly recommended so far. I hope that it uh, lives up to the good uh, expectations that I've had so far. Privacy Paradox from WNYC. Note to self. Tom, I'm going totally practical for this episode with uh, something from lifehacker.com called Top 10 Ways to Extend Your Laptop's Battery Life. So I have a new Windows Surface Pro 4 at work. And, and so as I go in and, and customize or personalize the settings for myself, I, I, there's a few things I always do to help uh, get better battery life. And so there are settings in there, but this article is great because it has 10 ways to help you extend your laptop's battery life. And a lot of times we use our laptops plugged in, so battery life is not an issue. But there's some pretty simple setting changes that you can make so that you're if you're in a situation where you need to use the laptop on, on batteries, that you can get a lot more life out of it. So totally great collection of, of tips all in one place. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thank you for joining us on this podcast. You can find show notes for the episode at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site, where you can find archives to all of our previous podcasts as well. If you'd like to get in touch with us, then send us an email at tkmreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet. I'm at Tom Mile and Dennis is at Dennis Kennedy. So until the next podcast, I am Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Help us out by telling a couple of your friends and colleagues about the podcast. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.